Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckman, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We've reopened our sanctuary and would love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045, if you feel comfortable to do so. We would also invite you to join us live on Facebook, YouTube, or our website if that's a better fit for you at this time. Please visit our website at raynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information regarding our services. It is my prayer that you experience the presence of God during your time with us, whether in person or online. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. Thank you once again for listening to our podcasts of our services and sermons that happen here every week. This week is Advent, week two, and we talk about the, the theme of peace. We look at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, where John the Baptist is making the, the proclamation before all of preparing the way, and we talk about the pathway to peace, we talk about the work of peace, and we talk about living in peace and what this means for us today. I pray that you are blessed, and we'll hope to see you soon. Well, this morning is Advent week two. And as, as Kurt and his family shared this morning and read, uh, our theme is on the theme of peace. Now, peace is, is kind of a, a funny thing, and, and it, there's some perspectives that, that we all have when we think about peace, when we think about the topic of peace, um, and our desire for it, and what, what all of that kind of looks like. Um, but this morning... Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, where we are going to begin our time in understanding God's purpose and plan for peace. So Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 17. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book, uh, book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, and every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation." John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has one, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. 
Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added, to, added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So as we read this passage, um, maybe peace isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind for you. I know it wasn't for me. As, as John is, is engaging with these people and, and the language that he uses, you brood of vipers, that's not very peaceful sounding, is it? Uh, surely I can't be the only one that thought that. But as we look at the context of, of this passage and in what John is trying to do, uh, John is trying to lay, lay the groundwork for the coming of Christ, right? We understand that. We know that. Uh, this, is, this is John the Baptist. This is John who, who is the messenger that's coming before. And he is trying to get the people to prepare the way. Now, now John talks about a few different things here, and, and we need to be, um, well, we're going to impact them as we go, but we need to understand, too, that, that John is not making um, salvation available for them. Salvation comes only through Jesus and the work of the cross as we see through the rest of the Gospels. But what John is doing here is preparing. He's the messenger that's coming with this message of hope. And that's important for us to realize. It's this message of hope, and with hope comes peace. Now, in this section here where, um, where it's in quotes... So I don't know how your, your Bibles look, but you have this section that's in quotes right after this whole lineage that gives you a time frame of where John is, is, is working and, and serving here, where it begins there at the end of verse 4, a voice calling to one in the desert. This is, this is a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So this is one that is, is also um, speaking about John's presence here making us aware that, that this was also predicted. Now, a couple of things are interesting in this, in this section of, of the Scripture. Um, and as we work our way through here, this, this section here is this pathway to peace. What John is talking about for, for us to be able to have peace with God. A couple of things here that, he, that, that the prophet uses... A voice of one calling in the, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low, the crooked roads made straight, and the rough ways smooth. In John's day, um, before a king would, would take a trip, messengers would be sent out before the king. Messengers that would go out before in this 
in this way where the king was going to be traveling. Roads weren't as we know them today, obviously. Uh, they were being developed, but, but still they were, they were very dangerous, especially for a king to be traveling. There were places where um, people would be hiding to ambush and to attack. There would be obstacles in the way. There would be all kinds of, of dangers before him. And so these messengers and these people that went before did exactly what the, what the prophet talked about here. They made these paths straight. The high places low, the low places level. They made it smooth as it could be. So, so that's kind of the imagery that, that John is, is working with, or that we are working with as we read through this section about John and, and what he was setting out to do. In much the same way that, that we read this prophet, uh, the, the prophet's words here, John is doing the same for each one of us. And he's calling us to prepare. He's calling us to be ready. He's calling us to make this pathway to us, to our hearts, to make all of the obstacles to, to get rid of those. And so as we begin to think through that, as we begin to understand that, that his warning, his message to us was to prepare, to make ready, He's calling us also to this work of repentance as you, as you see through, through John's message. So it's, it's two parts here. It's this preparation, this um, making the road to us for, for Jesus to be able to come to us, to make that easily accessible. And part of that too, the second part, is this repentance. Now, oftentimes we think of repentance as what? Somebody shout it out. What is repentance? Turning away from sin, right? And so that, that's, that's the one part. It's turning away from sin and then turning to God. And to be truly repentant, we've got to do both. Oftentimes it's easy for us to, to recognize maybe the one, I know what I shouldn't do, and so I don't go there but I'm not necessarily turning away. Does that make sense? It's, it's a both and. It's, it's knowing what, I, what, what is wrong, but not necessarily turning from it. And I think oftentimes, I know in my own life, I've caught myself doing just that. I know what I shouldn't do. I know the things that, that, that are sin, and, and I can identify those, and I know I shouldn't do it. But man, I can sure look longingly at it. Right? I entertain it. I think about it. And what John is warning us here is it's one thing to, to turn away, and it's one thing to, to stop what we're doing moving towards that. But the second part is that we need to be making that move towards God that move away from and move to. It's, it's active. There's, there's ways that we need to be a part of that. There's action on our part. So it's making way, it's making room, it's preparing our hearts for what God wants to do. It's this pathway to peace. The first thing that we want you to understand today is John is giving us a pathway to peace. 
This pathway to peace is repentance and it's making way. The second part of John's message today deals with the work of peace. Now, John dealt with uh, a few different people in this passage. He called some people out. Um, called them broods of vipers. I mean, those aren't, those aren't nice words. And, and I think as we, as we wrestle with that, as we understand what John was trying to do, he was trying to get them to understand the stark contrast between the words that came out of their mouth and the actions and the motivations of who they are. So in verses 7 through 9, we see that John wanted, or that some people came out to be baptized by John so that they could escape this eternal punishment. But they weren't really repenting from sin because they weren't really willing to change the way that they lived. And these harsh words that John used, he knew that God valued more than just the ritual. He knew that God valued more than just the actions that they were doing. This, this empty action of, of coming to be baptized. But there was more to it. As we understand this work of repentance that's more than just turning away from what we were doing, but the other part of turning towards God. We see here and we understand, and, and James talks about that faith without works is dead. And Jesus, he also spoke harsh words to religious leaders as we go through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he did not mince his words either. Jesus spoke harshly at times to the religious leaders who lacked this willingness to turn and to repent. They wanted to be known as these religious leaders and authorities. They wanted all of the eternal life, but they didn't want to repent. And so their lives were unproductible, unproductive. Turning from sin has got to be tied to action. Following Jesus means more than just saying the right words or even doing the right things. It means acting on what he says. John here also shocked them a little bit with, in verse 8, when he talked about um, uh, where he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What he was getting at is they were tying their connection to God through Abraham, through the promises of Abraham. And John is giving a different message. He's telling them that just because you have that association that doesn't mean you have a relationship. That doesn't mean that God is living in you. That doesn't mean that you're going to inherit eternal life. And I think sometimes, for some of us, growing up in the church, we, we've kind of maybe have, have adopted that, or we've been in the church for so long that we, by association, we're going to get to enjoy all these benefits. But John here says something far different. John here says that that doesn't matter. Your heart matters. Repentance matters. 
turning away from sin, turning towards God, that matters. And so this was shocking for them to hear because this turned on the ear what they had always kind of understood their connection to God was supposed to be like. And this personal relationship with God, maybe even as parents, we sometimes approach our children in this way. You know, we're teaching them the ways that they should go and understand we're, we're doing, trying to do our part to let them know what they must do. But kids, and this has got to be on you, this is your choice and your decision. Your faith needs to be your own. And there come a, come a time when you will have to experience that and get to experience that. I didn't grow up in the church myself. I was kind of around it, but I didn't grow up in it. My wife, I hope it's okay if I share a little bit, did grow up in the church. And she point, can point to a time when the faith of her parents no longer held because she needed the faith of her own. She needed to experience Jesus on her own. And she can point to a specific time in her life when that pivot began to take place. And for many of us today, we need to have that pivot where our faith becomes our own. And it's not dependent on me and what I say. It's not dependent on your parents. It's not dependent on anything else but your connectedness and your relationship with God. I love... The rest of this passage, beginning in verse 10, where people begin to ask, what shall we do then? I love that. What should we do? As, as it goes through these, these groups of people, um, these groups of people that are mentioned here were not popular people in that society. When you look at verse 10, when he addresses the tax collectors, those were mean, hurtful people who took advantage of others. When you look at the soldiers, these soldiers, these were the Roman soldiers that were occupying this area, and they were ruthless. And then he was talking to kind of regular, everyday folks. Maybe a lot like you and I. Where he tells them, when they ask, what should we do? And he tells them, in a nutshell, go love one another. If you've got something that somebody needs, share that with them. Do not take advantage of one another. This work of peace. So we've talked about the pathway to peace. This work of peace. This is God's work beginning in us. It's our response to it. And as you identify your place in there today, begin to think about that. Maybe even ask God today, what should I do? What should I do?
the third part of John's message were instructions and, and ways that we can live in peace. So as we talked about the tax collectors, we talked about the soldiers, we talked about the regular folks, we can see here that peace is for even me. Peace is for even you. John's message, it took root in some unexpected places. It took root in the poor, the dishonest, and even those that were hated. John's message was the Father's message. I want you to hear that. So the Father's message took root in each one of these. These people were, as we read here in, this, in Luke's gospel, were painfully aware of their needs and they were honestly seeking to know what to do to change their lives. We don't know as, this, as we go through the rest of this passage if, if anyone followed John's advice. I'm sure some did. And I'm, hope, I'm hoping that their hearts were softened and became ready to receive the message of the one who was to come. Verses 11 through 14, John's message demanded at least three specific responses that we're to share with those that are in need. That whatever your job is, do it well and with fairness. And to be content with what you are earning. John had no time to make this message comfortable for those that were hearing it. But he was addressing those that were living a careless and selfish life. And he was calling the people to a right living as he prepared the way for the Messiah. So what changes? What changes need to be made in your life today? As I was thinking about that passage of living in peace, I understood that, that as we do that, as we live in peace, it's got to be a choice, right? To live, to participate with God in all these ways that we understand peace, it's got to be a choice. So I need to maybe clarify a couple of things as we do that, as we consider that. That sometimes I think we confuse peacekeeping and peacemaking. We need to have the right perspective, the right understanding of those two terms. Peacekeepers are conflict avoiders. Oftentimes sweeping important issues under the carpet so no conflict manifests itself. We see it in our families sometimes. We certainly see it in churches. It happens when different groups feel alienated. Peacekeepers separate two parties in order to prevent conflict and thereby keep the peace. 
Temporary separation for the sake of de-escalation is a valid step in the process of peacemaking during war and a radically broken marriage or relationship. It has its place. When tensions or emotions run high, we need outside help to keep us from explosive reactions. Peacekeeping is peace faking. It's a forced peace. It's a false peace. And God does not like false peace. Peacemakers sometimes need to be peace disturbers. And Jesus was an expert in this. And all of his ways that he encountered the world around him. Any encounter we had, he had with somebody, he was disturbing the peace. Because he had, he had a purpose for it. Because oftentimes it exposed hidden heart issues or it confronted barriers to harmony. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, disturbed the peace with the Pharisees we see throughout Scripture more than once. And Jesus relentlessly challenged them about their attitudes of superiority and judgment, two mindsets that divide rather than unite. Jesus also said that they did not have the love of God in their hearts. He knew that the motivating power of God's love was lacking in the Pharisees and would undermine harmony in relationships. When we think back to social justice issues and movements that have been happening since even the 60s with, through Martin Luther King, he had to do a lot of peace disturbing in the peacemaking effort. We call that civil rights movement. King boldly and lovingly addressed the hypocrisy the prejudice and the injustices issued by the white establishment against African-American people. But he wasn't just trying to overthrow white supremacy. He wasn't just trying to cause upheaval. He sought reconciliation between these two groups. Before there could be peace, the status quo had to be disturbed. So what's our role in that? Where do you find yourself in those places? As a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? In preparing for that, I couldn't help but notice, and maybe the Lord brought it to my mind, was a hymn called It Is Well. I want to read you part of this story. This, this guy did a, a background on the author. His name is, the author of, of It Is Well is Horatio G. Spafford. The author, he was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman and was also a devout Christian. Among his close friends were several evangelists, including the famous Dwight L. Moody, also from Chicago. 
The writer's fortune evaporated in the wake of the great fire of Chicago of 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. In a saga reminiscent of Job, his son died a short time before his financial disaster. But the worst was yet to come. Kenneth Osbeck, who is a hymnologist, I didn't know there was such a thing, but there is, he tells this story. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wish, wishing to join and assist Moody and Sankey, which was a musician that traveled with Moody in one of their campaigns in Great Britain, he planned a European trip for his family in 1873. In November that year, due to unexpected last-minute business, business developments, he had to remain in Chicago, but sent his wife and four daughters on ahead as scheduled on the SS Via de Havre, which was the name of this ship that they were traveling on, and he expected to follow in a few short days. On November 22nd, the ship was struck by the Lockern, an English vessel, and sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally landed at Cardiff, Wales, and the missus, she telegraphed her husband and said this, saved alone. The author of this hymn left immediately to join his wife. And this hymn is said to have been penned as he approached the area of the ocean, thought to be where the ship carrying his daughters had sunk. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Is that the kind of peace that you have today? This peace with God, this peace in your relationship, this peace in your family, the peace in the world around us. Our response to peace is up to each one of us. Are we going to walk the pathway to peace? Are we going to let the work of peace begin to transform us? Are we going to live in peace with God and the world around us? For peace to work it has to begin in our hearts in relationship with God before it can have an impact on the world around us. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray that our response to peace today would be submitted to your perspective of it, to our understanding of it as we have learned about this today. I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk this pathway to peace this pathway that leads us to this understanding that it can really only begin with our relationship submitted fully to you, to allow you to continue to speak to us and challenge us, mold us and shape us. I pray, Father, that the work of peace in our life would, would motivate us to be in your presence, to, to motivate us to uh, allow you to work this out in our life. 
And I pray, God, that out of that, um, out of that response would be the way that we live in peace, that we can experience it fully in this, in this understanding of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. Father, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts, that you would help us to submit to you in this way. Help us, God, to live in peace with you. Let it begin there. Let it begin in our hearts and allow you to continue to shape us by it. I pray, God, that the peace that rules in our hearts is evident to the world around us, that we can make impacts around us, that we can be the John the Baptist today to the world, to proclaim, to make ready our hearts and the hearts around us. Father, would you do this work in us today? We ask and pray then in your name. Amen.